0: And welcome to Doing the Opposite, Business Disruptors. The podcast where you get to meet incredible leaders who have swum against the tide, thrown out the rulebook, and changed the way their sector does business. I'm Jeff Dewing, best-selling author and CEO at CloudFM. Before I begin, I'm pleased to announce that for Season 3, you can now find all of our podcasts in video form on YouTube, Simply search for Jeff Dewing, or click on the link in the show notes. So today, you're going to meet Dr. Vikash Shah, MBE. Dr. Shah is an entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist. He started his first business aged just 14, and he's now CEO of SwissCock Group, a textiles and commodities trading business alongside being a venture investor in a number of businesses internationally. he is a non-exec board member of the UK government's Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, and also a non-exec director on the Solicitor's Regulation Authority. VCAS was awarded an MBE for services to business and the economy in Her Majesty's, the Queen's 2018 New Year's Honours list. VCAS is also a published author, His 2021 book, Thought Economics, features in his interviews with people shaping our century, including conversations with Nobel Prize winners, business leaders, politicians, artists, and Olympians. He has been in the privileged position of questioning the minds that matter on the big issues that concern us all. When you listen to his story, this truly brings to life the purpose of my podcast, Doing the Opposite. So hi, Vikash Shah. Great to meet you. Been looking forward to this uh, for some time now. Thanks for having me on. You're more than welcome. I've uh, obviously done my research, uh, watched your TED talks, um, looked at some of the stuff you've been doing, and it is quite a whirlwind story. So I'm fascinated to hear about it. I'm fascinated to probe. And if we can start off, perhaps Mick Ash, uh just you know, set the scene. Give us a, a quick overview headline of of who you are. What is your purpose in life?
1: So purpose is an odd thing, right? Because we're figuring that out all the time in terms of what are we here for and why and, and, and what matters. I think my, my career's always been, I guess, in, in the world of business in one form or another. You know, I started my first business when I was still quite young in technology. And now I'm involved in, you know, several, several different businesses based, based here in Manchester. And I think. One thing I've always enjoyed purpose-wise is kind of following the thread. So if I see something that makes me curious or interested, I'll just see where that leads. So I think that's that's one thing which is really important for me.
0: That's fantastic, although it could in an undisciplined environment send you down a load of rabbit holes, I guess.
1: Massively. And but but do you know what? There's an extent to which that's okay because you've got to realise that there's certain needs you have to have covered. Like you have to have a core that pays the bills and you have to make sure that you're you're financially doing okay. Um, And then it's thinking about, well, what else can I fill my life with? Because there's so much in this world and there's so much exciting work we can do and there's so much impact we can make. And yes, you can go down rabbit holes, but you have to be very disciplined. Where am I making an impact? How am I making an impact? Is this still interesting for me and always check in on that rather than having kind of a big resolved business plan for life let's say that tends to be what I focus on is am I still pointing roughly in the direction of travel that I want to go you
0: know in the absence of of the new buzzword purpose that all started off with Simon Sinek and these you know start with why and all that sort of stuff and um, we'd have all thought with well, this as sort of just Americanized jargon but it, it sort of hit me and in, in only in the last five six seven years where we're all ambling from stone to stone, trying to find our happiness, trying to find our drive, trying to find our motivation in different areas. And sometimes we find ourselves, and most people, a lot of people that I certainly speak to, find themselves in a rut where they're challenging them. Am I being paid enough money? Am I in the right job? Do I enjoy what I'm doing? Because they're asking all these questions. And perhaps it's that ability, and I stumbled across something a few years ago called Guy, which I don't know if you're familiar with, yeah. which is just four simple circles, and it helps you really hone in on on what's important to you. And it's just the four simple questions. You know, what are you good at? What do you love? What can you get paid for? Um, and what change in the world are you going to bring? And, and that comes back to your statement about what impacts am I having? What problems am I solving for people? Um, and when you believe you're having an impact that's not self-serving, it's benefiting a wider audience or a wider community or whatever. That in itself, provided you enjoy it and provided you're good at it by default becomes your purpose to an extent, which can then be amplified on your journey.
1: It does. And and I think this is where there's maybe a misconception about the world of business, right? Because, yeah, obviously businesses have to make money. But I've yet to meet someone in, in, in the kind of world of entrepreneurship who made money because they set out to make money. Yeah. You know, most of the time they set out to just build something because they were kind of interested in it. And maybe the timing was right or the idea was really unique and it made money. You know, it's kind of when I'm speaking to students, I'll often say to them, if you want to make money, go work for an investment bank because, you know, that's what you'll do (laughs) in, in, in heaps. Creating something is kind of like businesses, that science and art bit combined, right? Where only a tiny, tiny number of artists ever go on to make big money. And it's the same, same as true in business. So, so finding that purpose is so important because if your purpose in life is to make money, and you embark on this journey of entrepreneurship, you might be very disappointed.
0: Well, of course, there's another saying I love as well, which is a Stephen Covey thing, which is a... Um, begin with the end in mind so don't yeah. think about tomorrow you know, where, where, you know, what is the outcome that you're looking to achieve that will create fulfilment it's not you, know, you think you want a nice new car and it's the one thing you've been dreaming of all of your adult life and suddenly you've got this nice new car and you feel really excited and three months later you think why am I paying all this money for this car I don't even want it because you thought you wanted something until because you haven't really thought about what does this feel like a, a month uh, two months, six months after having this car and it's costing me £800 pound a month or whatever the case may be and the only reason I cite that story is because that what happened to me, you know, 20 years ago when I thought that that was the answer to my dreams. Yeah. Um, and it's not until you can begin with the end in mind and say, what is it that's going to make me get out of bed every day, punch the air, be fulfilled with positive attitude where nothing can break me down. I'm just enjoying every minute of every minute. What do I have to be doing to get to feel like that?
1: But that requires making time and space to introspect. Correct. Which can feel like you're wasting time, but it, it really does. isn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those massive advantages of practices like mindfulness and things like this, where it's not about kind of you know being a hippie and doing all that. But if you're doing something inherently new, let's say, or creating something or, or building something unless you keep introspecting to figure out what it is you want, and or, or, or indeed what it is that you have to offer, you, you're not going to win. And so, you know, I remember in the early days of my first business, we did a lot of work in, on the West Coast of the US. And I was always really inspired by that. I was inspired by how much time those entrepreneurs spent, you know, having a walking meeting or taking time to introspect and be mindful and that was why. And that and that's why, arguably, they, they do the job so much better than the rest of us in many ways.
0: Yeah. And again, I think that's sometimes we stumble across this stuff, right? So COVID was an accelerator for me. We came out to Portugal for a holiday and ended up being stuck here during the lockdown. And we were lucky enough to have a, a house here. So I overlook the sea and I, I see the sunset every day because you've always got beautiful weather here. So during COVID, when I was at my most concerning point, because our business was materially affected by COVID, And I had four hundred mouths to feed. I just found the time each night at six o'clock when I'd finished doing what I was doing and work and contact. I went and sat on the balcony for two hours, and we called it. I called it Jeffrey Time. My wife wasn't even allowed upstairs. Right, no one was allowed upstairs for that for that two hours. And every night I just reflected, and the reflection wasn't about oh, I need to sit out here and come up with an answer or or a solution. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was just to reflect on everything that was going on around me. And the outcome, the byproduct was, I came up with incredible ideas about yeah. how to do stuff. When I try to explain this sometimes, you know, if it's not delivered in the right way, when I do some keynotes or stuff, people go, oh God, it's all about, as you just said, it's hippieism, it's meditation, it's Buddhism. I, I'm not into all that stuff. And again, it's none of that. It's sitting, and, it's sitting and thinking. That's all it is.
1: And then and there's another way that we can think about it, right? Which is you need to have enough around you that gives you a consistent sense of inspiration, right? And it doesn't need to be Big. It could be a nice piece of art that makes you think. It could be listening to music. You know, we've all had that experience where songs make us feel a certain way or art makes us feel a certain way. And, you know, this is where places like Portugal are so, so lucky because all you've got to do is go outside and, and just be, you know, this is why Lisbon, I think, is one of the most phenomenal places on the planet. And, oh, yeah. and so, even if it's not something that you inject into your life as a very specific practice or discipline, it's making sure that you have enough around you that keeps you feeling inspired. Because because that that will trigger that. It will trigger those ideas. It will help you solve those problems.
0: One of the things that um, sort of triggered me into this train of thought was like most couples, you know, me and my wife are 36 years um, when we're together in a house, you know, we don't stop talking, or she doesn't, I'd like to say. But anyway, we don't stop talking, right? And one particular day during COVID, when everything was sort of getting on top of me, I said, let's just go down the beach. And we walked down the beach and we sat on the sand and we just listened, watched and listened to the waves, right? Um, it wasn't the middle of summer where it was all packed. It was just it was just literally us two on the beach. And we sat on that sand for nearly three hours and didn't speak a word. We just sat and watched the sea. Now, if we'd have done that in another environment, she'd have said, if I've done something wrong, why are you talking to me? But it was both of us were in that moment of calmness and mindfulness. And your mind just runs away. And then you build energy, you build motivation, you build inspiration, you build all sorts of stuff. And that's what got me started on the, uh, the evening on the, on the patio watching the sunrise every day.
1: But imagine you gave yourself the, the space to do it without feeling like it was silly, right? There's a lot of people who feel like doing something like that's a bit silly. Like there's almost like a sort of aversion to it in terms of productivity culture, but. That kind of stuff matters. It's important. It's one of the reasons why people get so much joy out of pets as well. Because of course, yeah. you know, the minute you're interacting with your pet, you, you have to mm. be in the moment. You you yeah, are yeah, very yeah. mindful and present. And then it's amazing how much that gives you not just joy, but also insights into other parts of your life. So part of it is making sure that we we don't think of things like that as being silly and daft or odd. That they are very normal, and it's, it's how humans are. We depend on that.
0: Perhaps it's when people get given permission. It's like when you're kids, you have no fear. You're trying to think you fall off bikes, you jump off couches, whatever. It's not until you get to that sort of age of seven, eight, nine, ten, 8, 10, when your parents say, no, that's wrong, you mustn't do that, and suddenly fear comes in, and then fear drives out the rest of our life on trying new things, right? We're frightened to get it wrong. Correct. What we've done in our, in our business is since i would learned the power of this reflection, I now pay everybody an hour a week to sit and do nothing and they have to diarise it, and they have to be accountable to the fact they've done that. And what it does, it makes it okay. It's not fearful. They're not fearful of not being productive because that's the reason they're doing it. Um, but, but,
1: but that's also where I think a lot of, a lot of businesses also take a similar approach, but also do that in terms of, you know, Google, Google famously did their other projects yeah. thing, but you know, that's a bit of a misnomer because they're just asking you for 120% of your time, not 80, 20. But you know, a lot of businesses will encourage people to spend time on a creative pursuit or a hobby or they'll make space for that because they realize that actually that's where the really good stuff comes from. And it's not a senior executive thing. It's at all levels in any business. Because, you know, you can only join the number of dots that you have in front
0: of you, right? Well, absolutely. But the reality is we all have to realise that it doesn't matter if you're a telephonist or a help desk operator or a board director. We're all human and we all have the same needs, right? We all have the same challenges to a greater or lesser extent. Can't pay the mortgage, husband's leaving me, kids are ill. Whatever the situations are, uh, everyone's trying to ban- balance and spin these plates. If you've got a community, a community being a, a business an employer or whatever, that is entirely supportive and empathetic to that and says, well, don't, don't come in then or bring your kids if it's going to be easier or, you know, don't ask for permission to leave early. It's your kids. You would be disappointed if you didn't go and get your kids. It's a different mindset and flip, flips out of, of a, of uh, an attitude. But, but the majority of workplaces,
1: and, it, and it's not, it's not the fault of anyone, let's say, but the majority of European workplaces are still really based on the industrial era, right? And it's not because everyone's a dinosaur. It's because we had a hundred plus years of this is how you build a business. The structure of the corporation, the, you know, all the governance, everything is really oriented around model A. And we don't really have a model B yet. And so collectively as businesses, we're trying to figure it out, right? And so we've got to be kind in ourselves as businesses. It's not about blame. It's not because that business is a dinosaur and that one's really progressive. We're just all trying to figure out, based on the restrictions we have, based on a structure which is built for a different era, how do you adapt? How do you adapt to a world where the employee is now the
0: center of the organization, not a machine? We could count ourselves extremely lucky because had it not been for COVID, we would still be doing the same thing, thinking that was okay, and there wasn't an alternative. What yeah. COVID done was shone a light on the fact of there could be a different way, why don't you try it? Yeah. And it's like, and it's like it was a, a shock to the system, right? It was, yeah. And it was. We, we all had to learn very quickly how to deal with uncertainty. We had to learn very quickly on how to adapt because going to the office was now not an option. So those leaders that said it's imperative you're in the office realized that to find another way because the, the power was taken away from them. So we were all forced to try something new. And some of us have embraced it and continued it and created further greater mo- momentum. Others have, have sort of fallen by the wayside going that It's much easier to do it the old way.
1: Yeah. But, but that requires
0: both sides to meet in the middle because,
1: right? For every team member who works at home and is super productive and it's great. There's also going to be someone who doesn't and goes, "You know what? I'm going to chill and I'm not going to get paid." And and so it's about recognizing that there isn't one solution, but we have to figure out how do we recruit people who are better motivated and how do you build company culture at a distance, which is hard, but also how do you monitor people in a way which is fair for both sides but
0: isn't intrusive? They're all great questions and their questions are um that that we've addressed and we think that we've nailed it now there will be challenges and there'll be lessons on the on the journey that we've not come across yet but it is all about culture it is all about how you treat people and people that say how do i know what that person's doing how do i know if they're not just taking it easy and i'm saying it's the wrong question the question is like anything else you have to have a structure or framework whether it's a family thing a kids a parenting or a business if you have a person or team that has a set of clear, concise objectives where we've all agreed what's going to be done by a certain time, it's not dropped from a great height, everyone's in that collaborative approach that says, Yes, we all agree this is what we're going to do. And you let them own it and they become accountable. And when you say, I don't care how, when, or where you do it, we've just agreed that's the outcome. When you've got that clarity, it works fantastically well. The time it falls over is when you haven't got that clarity. Exactly.
1: And, but then
0: again, clarity is hard,
1: right? And And clarity requires people to meet you in the middle. It requires the participation of your team in agreeing what does that mean, right? Correct. Because it's not about me as a business owner saying, oh, you know, this is what I want. And that is my, that is my end game. It's about the team going, well, if this is the direction of travel of an organization, how can I contribute? So it's, it's me saying to you, Jeff, what can you contribute to help us get to this? And how do we mutually agree? Therefore, what your mission is. And that's a really hard thing for businesses to get around is the fact that you're moving from, you're moving from a company mission to individual missions.
0: This is all stuff that we've been learning at pace because of COVID and because of getting intimate with with staff, understanding their bigger, wider world, not just their world in work. We have a very clear purpose in our organisation that is a meaningful purpose that is measurable. Um, and what happens is we say to people, you know, do you believe what we believe? You know, if you don't believe what we believe, then you're unlikely to contribute. You have to believe what we believe, and therefore you're there. You, you by default you have to be selective on the people you bring into organisation, but typically our purpose is based upon our values and our values are just decent human values. And do you have those values? And if you do have those values, then you can go on that journey together with power.
1: But here's, here's the kind of sting in the tail of that, right? Is the degree of honesty it requires of an individual is quite profound. So let's say someone in their heart knows that they're just a bit of a nasty person and they like conflict and they're quite aggressive that's okay if that's who you are but then make sure that you're going into an environment where that's welcome yeah. right so yeah. become a litigator you know for example right yeah yeah <laughs> but do you know what being being really brutal, if you know that's what that's your value set then you need to go do that what you can't do is know that that's who you are and try and adapt to a uh, to an environment which is completely different. And you see that a lot. And that's one of the root causes of so much conflict in the workplace is where you end up with different personalities clashing. So the kind of personalities you need on the floor of the New York Metals Exchange, in the open outcry where it's really aggressive and really brutal, it's very different to the kind of people you might want in a tech startup, let's say. Of course. So, but, but again, you know, we've talked about introspection for the business leaders, but even individuals need to figure out what are my values? And there's no right or wrong answer, right? You you might just be a horrible person. That's okay, <laughs> as long as you know who you are. Yeah, yeah, And then go find somewhere where being a horrible person is celebrated.
0: It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're, back, you're bang on. Or get therapy. Or <laughs> <laughs> get therapy. <laughs> so you can be less horrible. But again, having said that, you're absolutely right because... You- you could, ask, you could ask two people in the pub and then you say, oh, what do you think? I'm horrible. I'm saying, well, yeah, the way you speak to those people is disgusting. And then another the person goes, oh, I think that's brilliant, mate. You're showing who's in charge. So it, it, there's no right or wrong. It's just who you are, right? Yeah. Just try and give me an example, if you can, where you've done something that perhaps went against the tide that was material, not, not sort of nominal, but something where, where some example of where you, something happened to you and you had to pivot really fast and do the complete opposite of what perhaps people would have expected you to do, or maybe even expected yourself to do. Have you got an example of when something like that may have happened?
1: Yeah, and and, and it was quite unexpected because it wasn't a planned thing. But I remember maybe, oh God, like nine, ten years ago now, I was um, doing a, a, a one of those typical business breakfast talks. There's a panel and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I was feeling pretty anxious that day. And the first question that I was asked on this panel was so, so, you know, what, what are some of the hard things about being an entrepreneur? And I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to just be honest. I said, like, yeah. it's a decade of depression, to be honest. <laughs> and, and you could have heard a pin drop in the room. Yeah. And the reason I use that example is even a decade ago, the culture of business was still, you don't admit it. You've yeah. got to show strength. And there was a consequence to that. There was a very real consequence that it could have. It could have dramatically reduced my credibility. I didn't know. But the pivot then was, now that the cat's out of the bag, what do I do? How can I own that conversation and and adapt? And it was interesting because there's an extent to which, as a business owner, you're in a position where you can take a risk and be truthful but you also can't be scared of consequences when it comes to the truth. Because it could have been the case that the business scene, let's say, would have been like, oh, well, you know, he's probably not fit to lead if he's like that. But I remember that day I got a message on LinkedIn from someone who said I was sat in the room. Their brother had tried to take their own lives the previous week. Wow. And they're really glad that somebody had talked about that. And if anything, being really open about it and being more truthful about who you are and what you're going through kind of makes people trust you more because you know there isn't a skeleton in the closet then and i felt that as a skeleton in the closet
0: that's why no one trusts politicians there's zero humility right
1: yeah i mean it's weird because in in a way once the skeleton's out of the closet you don't need to be scared of it anymore
0: no and you've got an opportunity to deal with it because now everyone will collectively try and deal with it yeah I don't know if you watched the news last night. A good friend of mine is the chief executive of ESNEF, which is the largest NHS trust in the UK, Nick Hume. He was on the news at 10 last night, and he was in a board meeting that, that was being videoed for some purpose. I don't know, perhaps in the internal purpose, I don't know. But he basically sat up and said, and he's, he's, quite, he's quite controversial, and he's saying, what's the worst that can happen? All they can do is sack me. And he said, hospitals are horrible places. You don't want to be in a hospital. The food is crap and no one really looks after you to the extent they should. And they wake you up every three hours and stop you sleeping. And I've been in some dodgy hotels, but I've never had to share a bathroom with six other people. It was that frank and honest. And the point he was trying to make was let's not be all fluffy and tell nonsense. You you don't want to be in hospital unless you need to be in hospital, was the point he was trying to get across which in one regard was being brutally honest and people going, wow, that was that was refreshing to hear someone being honest at that level. But secondly, his subtle message, his subconscious message was, don't come here and waste time and, and break the NHS. Come here if you really need it. Don't come here any other time. And it was fascinating because that's another moment of madness where suddenly everyone's going, oh my God, he's going to get hauled be- before the government and parliament for saying that.
1: But, but people aren't honest sometimes, are they, like that? Like... People are honest and saying, well, you know what? Yeah, that's what this is like. And it, But it kind of has to be because it's an emergency service. And, you know, you're not there because you're going for a holiday. You're there because there's something wrong and it you needs you need addressing. And the system was never designed for this many people. So it's going to creak. And so rather than everyone saying, well, you know, I I demand sourdough, in my hospital (laughs) breakfast, for example, you know, and I'm, and I'm being flippant, but the point is we have to manage our expectations of a service and respect the limitations of that service. This is also about taking ownership of your part to play in that. And I just don't see that happening enough. I really don't. I'll give you an example there was, there was, there was one of my clients in our consulting business and, you know, they were, they were looking at recruiting. they got lots and lots of industrial jobs. And I was like, well, you need to just be honest and say, you know, these, these are hard roles. But actually, there's a lot of people who really enjoy that. And if you take an example from the oil industry, oil and gas industry, they, they're they never telling you that, you know, working on a rig is a soft, easy place to work. They're telling you it's it's graft, it's hard, it's exciting, it's pressured. But if that's what you thrive on, this is your place. Absolutely. Yeah. and. Yeah businesses need to be like that too, where where you can be honest and say, look, this is a really tough place to work because of X, Y, Z. But hey, if that's what turns you on,
0: Come join us. I agree. And it's also about trying new things, isn't it? One of my good friends that's in one of my peer groups runs a manufacturing business, metal manufacturing. And raw materials have gone through the roof because of Ukraine and God knows what other things. And he's struggling like many businesses are because of various constraints and contractual constraints. But, of course, the biggest one of the biggest changes he's got is labour. You know, people now, you've got people retiring earlier. So he lost a load of staff because they retired early. And he's now decided to do something materially different. And he's gone out to the Philippines. He's just recruited about 40 metal workers. Yeah who are extremely well-trained, got extremely incredibly positive attitudes, are prepared to work for a salary that the British public won't currently work for or the British workforce won't currently work for. That's not, you know, we're still paying, obviously, national minimum. We're still paying yeah, national minimum. I mean,
1: minimum. There, are, there are wage differentials. That that's, that's normal.
0: Of course. And the reality is, though... He's gone to the Philippines not to try and save money. He's gone to the Philippines to create a sustainable business, right, with all the various other challenges that are coming. But he's also brought in a workforce that's going to infect, if that's the right word, in a positive way, a positive mindset and attitude on the other workers around the workforce. So it's about doing trying new things, isn't it, and not having any fear of that. It is. And this is where, you know, in particular with international business, the perception and the reality are
1: different. Like, let's be very, very clear. Like, when you look at fast fashion – Fast fashion has committed, you know, atrocious labor rights abuses in manufacturing. Um, so has the semiconductor, well, battery industry, when we look at cobalt mining. But the vast majority of manufacturing businesses, if they open a site in Indonesia or somewhere like that, they're successful, they're making money, the team are looked after, they'll have a lot of facilities, they're getting paid probably above the median wage in those countries anyway. And that's fine. Like, like even if that median wage is lower than what we have here... You've got to remember that in some of these parts of the world, the actual cost of living is maybe a factor of 20 to 30 less than it is here. So you've got to make sure that is what you are doing fair, reasonable and appropriate in that context, not through your lens.
0: No, 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 exactly. And that's, yeah, and that's a, we're back to a, a, a mindset and a culture of a broad spectrum of viewpoint, aren't you? And again, that's also about understanding, first seek to understand and all, and all the other various things that are important. Um, so cash. I've got like one last question. Um, that I'd like to ask you. Thank you for that. That was brilliant. If you're only allowed to say one thing, what would you say you were most grateful for?
1: It's going to sound really weird, but like, think about the likelihood that we are actually in existence. And the statistical likelihood of anything existing is really small the statistical likelihood of biological creatures existing is infinitesimally small and now go on to think about the statistical likelihood that that we exist and not only do we exist but we're conscious and able to observe and able to do all that and so so just that is just it's just remarkable like yeah. you know when you think about the context of us as beings the fact that Outside my window over there is a gigantic nuclear explosion 96 million miles away, which is warming me right now. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> nuts. So the thing that I I would always tell people is don't forget the sense of wonder every day. And because that gives you a huge tonic for the stresses and strains of life.
0: That's a fantastic answer. I love that. And you'll be pleased to know, no one else has ever said anything like that, so that's brilliant. <laughs> that makes me happy. And then finally, as we wrap up, um, what message would you give out to the audience if there was only one message you could offer in this environment of you know creativity, doing the opposite, break the rules, whatever? What's the one message you would send out?
1: You're not as big a deal as you think you are. To so stay humble.
0: <laughs> well done. Humble is humility, right? Absolutely fantastic. Listen. The cash it's been absolutely spectacular. this could have gone on for three, four, five hours. So I do appreciate your time. We have overrun, which is not a problem because when you get content like this, we we want to hear it. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you for the invitation. It's been it's been a really fun conversation, and you know I think what, what you're doing with this podcast is really great. So thank you for the invitation.
0: No, thank you very much, and uh, we'll speak soon. A huge thank you to Vikash for taking his valuable time to speak to me today. Another incredible, thought-provoking conversation. I always find it fascinating how great leaders tend to have completely aligned values. The piece where Vikash explained in his view that the difference between true entrepreneurs and other business leaders or owners is that they never do it for the money. They are passionate about solving a problem. Of course they consider financial impact as they have to create a sustainable business or or solution, but it's never the primary driver. And the other golden nugget for me was his final comment on the one piece of advice or message you would like to share. And he said, the wonder of our existence, which really sparked thoughts in my head. And it's about just wondering how we came to be. How the world exists and operates every day. The curiosity that is created from the wonder that will drive a positive appreciation for life. And positivity can only be a good thing, right? I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And thanks once again to Vcash. I'm Jeff Dewing, author of best-selling book, Doing the Opposite. And CEO of Cloud FM. If you'd like to know more about my podcast or my incredible guests, please visit jeffdewing.co.uk. You can also find out more about Cloud FM at cloudfmgroup.com or simply follow us on LinkedIn. Finally, I'd like to offer a big thank you to my team, Nicola Crawshaw at Cloud FM, Thinking Hat PR, and of course, my production team, What Goes on Media. Thanks for listening.